Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Clark Merkley about the keys to success with a distributed workforce. Clark Merkley, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Great to be here, John. Yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, Clark, you and I have known each other for a long time, probably about a decade. Um, We both live in Utah. Uh, You have been very gracious as a guest speaker in my class at Utah Valley University many, many times. Um, and, And really, you're just a great colleague and a good friend. And I really appreciate you uh, and the insights you always share uh, with my students. Today, we have a similar opportunity, but uh, instead of my students, uh, the, the listeners for this podcast tend to be people management, um, uh, individuals, organizational leaders at various levels within organizations. And so I hope uh, that they will also benefit from your uh, very rich background, um, both your life and professional experience, and really what you bring to the table in terms of your HR expertise, your HR knowledge. As we get started, I just wanted to share Clark's bio with everybody. Clark Merkley is the Executive Director of Boot Up Professional Development, a national uh, nonprofit devoted to bringing coding and computer science to all elementary students by empowering their teachers. Boot Up has worked with partner school districts around the country and has prepared over 350 teachers for teaching over 170,000 students the essential literacy of code. Beginning in 2020, with the generous support of Amazon Future Engineer, BootUp will reach approximately 3,000 teachers and nearly 1 million elementary students in underserved communities throughout the United States. Prior to joining BootUp, Clark was a senior executive at Emerald Data Solutions, Employee Solutions Group, and Assurant Health. He has also served in a variety of human resource roles in the public and private sector. Clark served as an elected school board member in Wisconsin and had the honor in the middle of his professional career to be a junior high teacher at Springville Junior High School in Springville, Utah, where he taught algebra, physical science, earth science, and law and government. He loves being in the classroom and helping to shape the minds of future lifelong learners. He considers teaching to be the greatest of all professions. Prior to his career in education, Clark practiced corporate health care law in Portland, Oregon, and Chicago, Illinois. Clark received his law degree and MBA from the University of Chicago and his undergraduate degree in zoology from Brigham Young University. Clark and his wife, Cheryl, live in Orem, Utah and are the parents of five and the grandparents of 11. For the last several years, Clark has either been the chief operating officer of a for-profit software company or the executive director of a nonprofit, both of which have high-performing distributed workforces. 
He has shared his lessons learned with many other organizations, mastermind groups, and colleagues. Um, again, what a wonderful uh, professional and personal background, uh, a bit eclectic. You've kind of done a lot of uh, different things, but always bringing this, that same skill set and expertise to the table to make a difference. And I love uh, what you're doing now with Buddha. I'm really excited to have a discussion with you today about distributed workforce. Yeah, no, as you read that, I, you know, my parents all used to say, what are you going to be when you grow up? And uh, so I've tried a number of different things, but you're right. The, the common thread throughout all of it, at least for me, is where can I make a difference? Uh, where can I do the best good? And being in the classroom, working with students, or in, in the case now, working with teachers, we know that we can have a tremendous impact, not only for this generation, but for generations to come. So I'm always envious of you, John, because you get to, to do that as your full-time job um, working with college students. But it, it really is gratifying, especially in a nonprofit environment, to be doing that kind of work. Yeah, it is a good gig. I, I can't lie. Um, but, but you know what it's like, too. And, and you've been uh, in the classroom for a good part of your career, but you've, you've uh, been in the executive ranks as well. And that's, that's really fascinating to me. Uh, I know when you come to my class at the university, you've often told the story uh, about how you made the decision to leave uh, the executive ranks and then go to, you know, going to be a, a middle school teacher. Um, while that's not going to be the main focus of the episode today, would you mind sharing that briefly with, with the listeners and just how you came about making that decision, how that came to be? Yeah, I'd worked for a number of years for a national health insurance company and, and was doing quite well, making the company a lot of money and the company was doing well. And my wife and I were traveling in the Florida Keys and driving along and I said, you know, I want to go teach. And she said, well, you know, you've always said at the end of your career, you want to be a professor or something like that. And I said, no, I said, the students are paying tuition at college. They're pretty motivated. And she said, wait a minute, you, you want to be like a, what, an elementary school teacher? And I said, no, because the kids there, they all love their teachers and think their teachers are perfect and wonderful. I want a little bit of a challenge. And she said, high school? And I said, no, because high school kids have kind of made up their minds. Either they're going to college or they're not. And, you know, I'd, I'd, rather, I'd rather have a little bit more of a challenge to engage some lifelong learners. And my wife's a former high school teacher. And she said, are you out of your mind? You want to teach junior high? And I said, yeah. I said, I, I think I can make a real difference. And uh, she said, well, you're making a difference now in what you're doing. And I said, well, you know, I don't have a lot of direct customer contact. Yeah, my team, you know, we've, we've done some great things. And I think I've, you know, been able to make a difference in some of their lives. But I'll tell you what, when I got into the junior high classroom, I knew every hour of every day that I was making a difference. So if I could make science or even algebra, that was a little bit more difficult to make that exciting for the students. You know, in science, I could see the light bulbs go on and I could see students that otherwise would have hated a science class all of a sudden realize, wow, there's more here than I thought. And then, you know, now that it's been a number of years since I was in the junior high classroom, many of my students have gone on to healthcare careers, healthcare administration, um, science careers, uh, nursing, and, and it's just it's so gratifying to see them, you know, coming into a class as an eighth grader and hating science and then walking out and now making a career and a livelihood out of it. So, yeah, so that, so that's, uh, you know, 
it reinforced itself when I got in the classroom and knew that I was actually making a difference. Yeah. And I mean, in the corporate setting and you were, um, I, because I know you and I know your background, you know, filling in some of the, the information gaps for listeners, but you were in mergers and acquisitions. And uh, I mean, it was pretty uh, heady stuff. You know, you you were, you were doing some pretty uh, big things for these, for this corporation. And, and like you said, you, I'm sure you were doing very well financially. You, you were helping the organization to be very successful and taking a step back, taking what must have amounted to a, an enormous pay cut, um, going from that career into a middle school teaching job, um, but doing it for, for the purpose, for the ability to make a difference. I, I find that inspiring and uh, I, I you know, give kudos to you for that. And I know that that same ethic has, has been with you throughout your career. And it's, it's in part why you're doing what you're doing now um, as executive director of Boot Up. So anyways, really cool. Um, I, I, I think it's a, it's a good life lesson for all of us, you know, to, to uh, tap into where our passions are and, and find ways that we can make a meaningful difference in the lives of those around us. Yeah. And it's interesting when I made that decision, some of my executive colleagues at the insurance company, some said I was out of my mind. Others said, you know, that's a really cool idea. I wish I had the guts to do that. And, but, but it's interesting over the next couple of years, one of them left um, a senior actuarial position at the company to write Christian music and, um, and, you know, really launch his Christian rock band. And another one, uh, gave up a, fi a senior finance job and went to run a nursery, a plant nursery. And so, you know, I, I, hopefully I inspired some of them to, you know, take that courageous step to either follow their passion or to, you know, make a difference in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, very cool. Well, so the main topic today isn't about that, even though that's a really um, cool, inspiring story, but we, I wanted to talk to you about working from home. Um, in the age of COVID, you know, so many people have been working virtually uh, who perhaps previously may have actually been in the office. And, and so we have th these different types of arrangements and we kind of tend to lump them all together into this idea of working from home or working virtually. Um, but there is a difference. You know, we have distributed workforce and I know um, you have a lot of experience with that. We have a remote workforce and then we have those that are maybe just temporarily working remotely otherwise wouldn't normally be in an office setting. Um, so to start off, maybe you can share with the listeners, like, what do you think the difference is between some of those different types of scenarios? Why is it important for us to think about those types of employees differently? And, and then we can go from there. Okay. Well, yeah, it's, it's really funny when, the, when COVID broke out and I can pinpoint the date for our, our group, it was, it was March 12th of 2020. And uh, so we had our next staff call and uh, I said, oh, congratulations, all of you get to work from home now. And everyone laughed because we've already been working in a, in a distributed work environment. And let me tell you a little bit about the difference. So a distributed workforce is at the very uh, start of the organization of its you know, infancy and, and toddlerhood, everyone's working from home or working from wherever they, they want to be working from. And that's, that's a little bit different than either a remote environment where there's a central corporate office and you might have people working in small offices around the country. Occasionally they'll have somebody who's a real superstar that is able to work from wherever they choose. 
And many software developers have chosen to take that path where they say, I can do my best work outside of the office environment. Let me choose where I live and, and, and call my hours and, and I'll just, you know, you can track my work product and measure my success that way. And then that's, and then that's a further distinguished from those who would normally be in a corporate office, but are now working from home, which is, you know, a, a, a big phenomenon right now, complicated by the fact that if you're young parents, your children are also at home with you because schools have been canceled. And it makes for a really chaotic um, work from home environment. So I'll give you just a, a little bit about distributed workforces. For the last eight years now, I've worked either as a chief operating officer or as, or as the executive director of a distributed workforce. And, it, and the, when I first took, took my first job, it was a chief operating officer of a software company uh, in the education space. And um, I told my wife, I said, yeah, I'm gonna accept this offer and it's, it's working from home. And she said, you're gonna hate that. You're a people person. You like wandering around, touching base with people, see how they're doing, you know, shooting the breeze or, you know, collaborating on, on an idea. You're going to hate that. And I'll be honest. I mean, for the first, first little while, it was, you know, it was a little bit lonely. And, uh, but at the same time, it's like, this is so freeing and so liberating. And, uh, and then I started, you know, diving into our, our competitive landscape we had a large competitor that was based in downtown San Francisco and had, you know, quite expensive office space and a staff that was about 10 times larger than ours. And our, our revenue was about the same. Our client base was about the same. And we had, be, had been profitable for about a decade and they never did reach profitability. I mean, they were venture capital funded, uh, had a very expensive business model and um, never did reach profitability. So when I started doing th th that kind of analysis, I said, man, from a financial standpoint, this makes tremendous sense. And I was also in charge of the human resource function as the chief operating officer and, and re responsible for the recruiting. And I, it, when I first opened up a position, it was for um, a, a developer, you know, software developer, I was amazed at the at the kind of talent that I could find all over the world, and you know, frankly, we were we said let's find the best person in the world, um, and you know, most of our applicants came from the United States, but we, you know, the the philosophy was, if we can find someone who is a good work from home employee, and they don't have to relocate, we we have access to this amazing talent pool. And that's carried on for the last seven years. And so from a managerial standpoint, the ability to keep our costs low as we possibly can, and as a nonprofit, that's essential, you know, just to, to be sustainable. As a for-profit company, you know, all that, all that money goes right to the bottom line if you're not, you know, paying for expensive office space and, and all the associated costs. And you have access to the amazing talent pool. So, uh, you know, I became sold instantly on the on the prospect, and the nonprofit I'm running now is actually a, a it was a give back initiative of that for profit company, and when we later sold the software company for um, you know to a, a larger firm that was buying similar companies, we they they didn't want to take over the the uh, charitable give back initiative of teaching elementary students how to teach coding to kids. So we spun it off as a nonprofit and kept the distributed work environment. And so now I've got employees from Florida to Texas to Oregon to Arizona, 
just hired uh, somebody from the from uh, New York City who is now in Mexico, but will be relocating to New Mexico. Um, and it really is a great a great model for you know building the best possible team you can. That that's really awesome. So and so you already referred to the cost savings. You you referred to the talent pool and the access to good talent anywhere, any basically anywhere with a good internet connection, you could uh, you could work for boot up. Um, any other benefits and then any drawbacks that you've seen over the years as you've done this? Well, it's interesting. The benefits I, I did a you know an informal poll of my staff earlier this week, and I said it went around to each one of them, and I said, "Tell me the you know what you like most and what you like least about our our work environment." And it was a pretty universal feeling that what they really valued most was the flexibility, the ability to schedule their work around their lives. Um, some of them have young families, some of them have uh, parents they're taking care of, others have significant outside commitments. And they also know because they've you know, now been working from home for quite some time, the times of day and the days of the week where they're most productive and they tend to you know, make those their work hours. And so giving that kind of flexibility to people is, you know, has been incredibly valuable. So it, even though it's not a financial cost to the organization, it's one of the greatest employee benefits that, um, that we can offer. The second one was kind of an interesting one. Interesting one. I asked one of my uh, colleagues, I said, what do you like the most? And she said, well, I'm, I'm really an introvert. So when I would go into an office, it took a lot of emotional energy for me to actually go in and face people and have conversations and deal with the office chit chat and all those other things. I really like working from home and sort of saving up in that account, uh, that bank account all the emotional energy that I then expend when I go to a, a industry conference or a networking group. And I'd never thought about that because I'm, I'm probably more extroverted than introverted. So I never thought about what an introvert feels like in a work environment, which is often exhausting. I mean, not only just because of the work itself, but just the emotional exhaustion that comes from having to, to deal with people. And um, some of the other comments that people made were, I like the autonomy. So the fact that I can schedule my own work and not be micromanaged or have someone look over my shoulder all the time and know what I've got to deliver. So I know the work product or I know that the, the project or I know the deliverable to a school district or a group of teachers that I've got to deliver. But I, I can set my own schedule about when I want to accomplish that. And the drawbacks, it's interesting, what people find, and I think a lot of people that are temporarily working from home find this same challenge, and that is drawing the boundaries. So what are the boundaries between home and work? Um, and if, you're, if you don't have a separate space, which was a couple of my staff members mentioned that that was one of the drawbacks, is either they had to find a, a bedroom or they had to find the corner of a living room where people might be passing through, pets might be going by, the Amazon guys, you know, ringing the doorbell, you know, to make a delivery. And so those, those that have created a dedicated space where they can shut the door and be undisturbed were, were happier than the ones that were still dealing with the, the temporary space. Um, 
I, and I think I've heard as I've talked to other uh, managers and HR professionals, two of the things that come up, um, the you know objections uh, are, what about corporate culture? What about your organizational culture? How do you keep that in a distributed environment? And the other one was uh, mostly from my software friends who said, you can't. There's no way you can do collaboration the way we do it when we have people physically present in the office. It just doesn't work. It's too fast paced. We're involved in, you know, development cycles and we can't, we can't, you know, run on a remote basis. And, and, and my response to both of those is on the culture front, that's not a, that's really not an issue. And as a nonprofit, it's a little bit easier because our corporate purpose and mission really unite us and people feel so passionate about the work that they're doing and they see the rewards every day. And so it, you know, it reinforces itself. But we do spend um, uh, about an hour and a half every week on a, on a staff exchange where we're on a Zoom call. You know, we can see each other's faces. We kind of do a personal check-in, discuss some of the critical items for the, for the organization to move forward, and then kind of, you know, get a feeling for what needs to be done. And, and people really appreciate that chance to touch base. And here's the unusual thing. I've got a staff of about, I think we're up to nine now. I have not physically met four of them. So we hired them without physically meeting them. You know, it was a video call or phone calls. Now they're joining our team and they're, you know, and I have not actually met them. And so for a lot of managers, that would just be like mind boggling. How, how could you ever create a corporate culture without even physically meeting your team? So that one's not as much of an issue. And on the collaboration front, I think what makes it really work well is if you have very clear role definitions and very clear handoffs. So what I see with a lot of organizations is they don't take the time to really clarify what the position is, what the expectations are, and what the, what the roles are as they hand off you know, their work to someone else. And so if you invest the time in doing that, then you know, the rewards uh, come later because then people can work on their own periodically touch base, not waste a lot of time in meetings. Because um, that's because here's here's what I see. Um, and I know I'm, I'm doing most of the talking, you're doing most of the listening, but I, here's what I see going on. We, you know, it's funny because I saw it in the education space first when students started uh, doing at-home instruction with their teachers back in, in March and April this year. The teachers that were really struggling or were the ones that were trying to replicate what they did in the classroom at home. So basically, direct instruction, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be up in front of the class and I'm going to tell you what you need to do and you listen and take notes and you, you follow along or here's the project or the worksheet I want you to complete. And they were really frustrated because they didn't, they couldn't use their normal classroom management techniques to get the students in line. Kids would shut off their videos or kids would, you know, like especially elementary kids, they get so frustrated, they just put their tablet down on the floor and all the teacher could see was a blank screen and hear the noise in the background. So the, so the teachers that really did well were the ones that said, okay, given the circumstances of this new remote environment, what can I do differently to make the experience meaningful and, and productive for the students and for me as a teacher? And so they, they had to get very creative. And it was interesting, a lot of the teachers that we had worked with and trained in, in computer science and coding, 
they took to it very easily because they said, you know, one, I, I'm not intimidated by the technology. And two, um, I've already been pushed out of my comfort zone and, and been creative in what I'm doing in the classroom now. And so I can see some different ways to, to, to go about it. So what I see on the business front is the same thing. If we're trying to replicate what we did when we were physically together in the office and do it online, then all the, all what happens is the employees spend 10 hours a day on zoom or WebEx or Microsoft teams or whatever, but how exhausting, how terribly unproductive, because we know that's what they would do if they were in the office, especially the senior management team. They just go from one meeting to another. So now I'm just going to replicate what I did in the office online, and it just doesn't work. So yeah. my, my argument is for clear role definitions and productive collaboration and cut down on a lot of the, the unnecessary shooting the breeze and office chit-chat and office drama. That's the other thing my, my staff mentioned is we don't have any office drama because I can, I can jump off the Zoom call and then I can scream at the top of my lungs if I want to about how frustrated I am with that person, but I don't have to deal with them and I don't have to look at them the rest of the day. Um, and I, you know, that, that's exaggerating a little bit because I don't think anybody really feels that strongly, but, but in, in a real, in a, in a physical work environment, that happens where it, there's too much drama. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I really appreciate first the framing of the different kind of forms of work from home that we might find ourselves in. Um, and I currently am largely kind of that temporary work from home person. Um, the university is still open and we have maybe about 20% of our classes are face to face, but the rest are online, uh, which is, you know, is totally flipped from the way it was before COVID. We used to be like 80, 20, the other way. Um, and so I, in the last six months, I've gone to campus maybe five times, you know, and I, every now and then I will go, uh, but mostly I'm working from home. And my experience is exactly like what you just described, especially early on, is that they just scheduled Zoom meetings like crazy. We were meeting all the time. And I even, even work retreats, we would have um, scheduled normally like day long work retreats where we do strategic planning or whatever, but now they just did like an eight hour zoom meeting and that is insane. And so over time, what I've noticed is, is the better managers, the better leaders have started to recognize that that's just not productive. That's not feasible. And uh, they've come up with better approaches to deal with those times where we do need to collaborate, where we do need to be face to face, even if it is virtually face to face. Um, but I agree. I think you can be very productive in a distributed workforce model um, as long as you communicate very clearly and openly. And that includes those expectations, the role definitions, everything that you just mentioned. Um, and I think it does require managers and organizational leaders to be a little bit more proactive about how they're going to approach touching base with their employees. Because like your wife mentioned, when you first started working from home, you don't get that kind of just organic opportunity as you're just wandering around and just to say hi to people and touch base briefly. Like now it has to be a little bit more purposeful. Like uh, you have to like plan it in advance usually um, and, and kind of have mechanisms in place so you can have those opportunities, but it's still possible. So I, I, I think COVID has shot, it's shown a light on this great opportunity that we have to utilize technology to a greater extent 
um, to provide more flexibility for employees when appropriate uh, and to give people the opportunity to, as you said earlier, to do their best work at times when they can be most productive. Um, my wife and I both are working from home. We have six children that are doing school from home. And I'll tell you, like between 10 and between eight and 10 in the morning is not the time that I'm going to be focusing on doing work because I have to help my kids yes. <laughs> you know, with school. But I can do it before or I can work later into the evening, no problem. Um, and so as long as I have that flexibility, it's not an issue at all. And, and I think more and more employers are understanding that more and more employees are recognizing the benefits of that. Yeah. Let me address one other issue that I've, I've heard from a lot of people. And, and, you know, it's one that if I look back, the first time I became a senior executive was about 25 years ago. And I could never have imagined having people working from home. And, and it was just so institutionalized both there and really in management in general that you have to be able to see people. You have to be able to touch base. You have to be, there's you know, an old saying, walk the four walls of the office and, and, you know, be able to see what people were doing. It doesn't mean you were physically like standing over their shoulder all the time, but if they didn't make an appearance at the office and look busy, you know, then there was, you know, there, there was usually a conversation like, hey, you don't have enough work to do, you know, what's going on, you're, you know, I noticed you've been taking a lot of personal phone calls. And so it just was never really a thought that people would, would work from home. And so what I saw a lot of my senior management colleagues doing when the pandemic broke out was there was this amazing uptick in the, in the purchase of software that would monitor what employees were doing at home. And I thought that is the craziest idea. And I'll, and I'll tell you, it really, it does come down to what I'll call managerial trust. And the way I describe it to people is if you're careful in the hiring process and you take your time to find the person who's going to do well uh, working on their own, you know, they're self-starters, they can set their own goals, they can do their own work plans. They're generally trustworthy people. And you have that managerial trust amazing things will happen. In fact, productivity will go way up and you'll, and you really have to coach your team to take a break, you know? So, and that's really the other, you know, talk about the boundaries between home and work. A lot of my employees, the first thing they, they did was they said, you know, I would just keep working and working and working. Cause I'm, I don't have a commute anymore and I'm right there. And so I, I find myself working 10 or 12 hours a day. And I finally, I said, I gotta, I gotta, you know, set some boundaries and so we've got some interesting techniques that have come up. You know, some of my employees will exercise in the morning, shower, dress like they're going to the office, and then that's their, you know, their signal that I'm going to work. And then they, you know, I have one employee who will actually change the lights in, in her office. So she'll turn her lights from brighter down to dimmer, meaning that's the end of the day. And, uh, you know, I've got other employees that have set up, you know, automatic alerts on either their phones or their watches or whatever to say, okay, I've done, a, I've done a good productive work day and now I need to, you know, create those boundaries. But the last thing I would ever want to do is monitor what my employees were doing. Um, you know, I, you know, there might be a few people that would slack off, but, you know, frankly, I don't really care because that's, you know, slacking off when you need a mental break is really one of the ingredients to being a very productive and successful employee. You, you can't just, you got to check out. Yeah. I, it's, it's about what the product is, right? What you produce 
it's less about the amount of time or when you put in the time uh, in doing the work. And so if, if we take a more merit-based approach, you know, and people are productive, they, they have good outcomes, then who cares, you know, when they're working, how they're working, um, how long they're working, because they're- Exactly. Well, that's the, that's the other thing we, you know, it's, it's sort of led to, uh, you know, for many, for many months, it was an informal, you know, unlimited paid time off approach. Because a lot of people say, well, how many vacation days do I get? And, you know, so I, I would you know, laugh and say, well, how many do you think you need? And then they said, well, I don't know, I've had two weeks at this last place. And I said, well, okay, two weeks is fine or three. I mean, I, you know, the, the, getting the work done is what I really care about. And how you choose to do that um, is, is less important to me. So, I mean, many times I've been traveling, I've been, you know, quote, on vacation. But I've, you know, I'm taking phone calls, I'm jumping on, you know, conference calls, I'm responding to emails. And as long as I've got good internet connection and cell phone access, it doesn't matter where I am. Now, some of my staff, they actually have to physically be present in, in school districts. I and mean, this is pre-COVID, obviously, and hopefully we'll get back to that. So they've got commitments where they've got to be certain places at certain times. And all businesses have that where there's office hours or customers are coming to call and you need to have someone to respond. Or you're on a, you know, a remote uh, phone bank and you're taking calls from customers. And there's a lot of those uh, companies that do have people working from home because they can take calls from wherever. Um, so, I, you know, my, my recommendation is, and my staff always, you know, gets a little worried when I say this, it's hire slow, fire fast, you know, take your time and hire people that are really good fits for the work home environment that you can trust. Deal with any issues that come up as far as performance or missing deadlines or whatever, and you know, handle those as they come up. But, you know, by and large, 99.9% .9 of the time, I've got a lot more productive and a lot happier and well-adjusted group of colleagues than if I, if I, uh, especially, gosh, I think about places like New York and Los Angeles where they have long commutes on either end of their day. Man, I, you know, I'm saving people so much time and aggravation by, uh, you know, allowing them to, to work from where they can work best. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Clark, it has really been a pleasure talking with you and picking your brain a bit about distributed workforce, uh, pros, cons, you know, benefits, how we can leverage it. I really, I think the pros far outweigh the potential cons. Um, and I think if we can reframe the way we approach leadership and the way we approach people management, I think it can almost eliminate most of the negatives uh, or potential negatives that could come from distributed workforce. Um, we're about out of time, but uh, before we part ways today, I just wanted to give you the chance to give the last word and share with listeners how they can find out more about you, get connected, find out more about um, BootUp. Great. So uh, you can go to bootuppd.org. That's our website. Um, so it's bootuppd.org. Um, and my email is clark at bootuppd.org. So you feel free to reach out to me if you want any you know, a conversation or tips about a distributed work environment. Because um, I've, you know, I've been a manager both in the office with the remote staff and also now the last seven years or so with a distributed environment. And just a little bit about boot up. We are just so excited this next year um, as we roll into some of the largest school districts in the country to do our work. And, and many of these districts, well, in fact, the, the collective 
it's over 90% of the students are receiving free, free or reduced lunch, which is an indicator of um, economic status or economic uh, situation where, the, you know, poverty is, is pretty pervasive. Uh, a very high percentage of our students are students of color. Um, and so we're really excited about the tremendous equity gap closing we're going to be able to do this year with school districts around the country. And, and also, you know, we're working with a number of districts um, in very small rural areas, um, suburban areas and cities, and just seeing tremendous impact, um, not only with the teachers and the students, but also in the students' performance in other areas as they learn the important skills that coding can bring. Um, so thanks for having me on today, uh, John, and I, I'm looking forward to listening to more of your podcasts and, and following what you're doing, but I appreciate the opportunity to spend some time with you today. Thank you, Clark. It's been a pleasure. It's always good to see you. And uh, I hope listeners will reach out, get connected with Clark, find out more about what his organization is doing, what they can do for you uh, or for people in your organization. Um, I hope everyone continues to stay healthy and safe. I hope you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope everyone has a great week. Thank you. We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.